2: Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of
1: Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. Yes, and I'd love to welcome you all to the Monday edition of Lifeline. Get some feedback there. Uh, the time is 5:05 on June 15, 2020. Glad to have you in the house. We are dealing with all kinds of challenges and struggles right now, both uh, technologically wise as well as in our world. The number to reach me is one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine our prayers go out to the family of rayshard brooks just want to kind of get that on the table right now uh he didn't have to die uh and yes there has to be reforms in the uh policy of our police departments our law enforcement uh, departments, and I guess they're federalized all across the nation. What that means, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know, is that there is not any kind, any one kind of uniform set of policies as to how uh, law enforcement is to engage the public, uh, whether the public is compliant or whether the public is um, non-compliant. And uh, with all of the uh, hoopla, with all of the protests, with all of the Outrage, and with all of the repeated numbers of of examples of uh, young men, whether black or white, particularly in this context, black. Although you know the stats are making it very clear, uh, blacks and Latinos and whites are dying, unfortunately, at the hands of law enforcement. Uh, There is, without a doubt, a need to revisit the policy of how law enforcement engages its citizens across this nation, and that is something that is not even up for question when you look at at the stats of uh, not only incarceration in our nation, but uh, just problematic interaction between police officers and its citizenry um, here in America. Uh, and And so what we saw with regards to the manner in which uh, Richard Burks died, is, is still a compelling argument for reform. I, I absolutely do not advocate this notion of just getting rid of or defunding arbitrarily our law enforcement uh, departments. I just don't. It's irrational, and it's coming from a whole different place I hope to be able to engage you in, uh, in terms of, of what's going on in our, in our world. But again, with, with, with all prayers and all uh, concerns and all effort to be employed in making sure that there is an appropriate assessment uh, by, uh, by the judicial system and that the officer in view is dealt with according to the law and whatever legitimate consequences he deserves are actually uh, um, executed in his life. To me, this looks like second-degree murder, not first-degree murder, but second-degree murder. In all likelihood, I'm not real sure how this works, but I've listened to a lot of the pundits, including law uh, enforcement and different um, you know, police authorities, law enforcement authorities, saying that this will probably fall out to be... Largely, manslaughter, if not third-degree murder, murder, but probably not second and certainly not first because of um, all of the things that this young man did that were just wrong. So, Rayshard Brooks is like any of us who are parents and have sons, whether white or black. In this particular case, this is not about racism. This is about law enforcement having a policy that when an individual uh, resists arrests, that uh, without proper measures, escalation will lead to an inevitable outcome that will be a problem for everyone. And in this case, for whatever the reasons were that Rashard chose to resist arrest after initially complying, Led to this tragic outcome, Uh, and this is why I say the the law enforcement has to figure out a way to deal with something like this, where in fact of matter there was absolutely no uh, no impending uh, doom or danger as you and I would know it uh, at 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 in terms of the the officer who was uh, chasing Rashard down, but in fact uh, you know there was a very dubious. Uh, time where he had uh, a taser just like the officer had a taser and and as some have uh, have stated very clearly um there would be uh there would be uh you know a a, a, a very difficult decision to be made because if in fact uh uh, Rayshard could have tasered him, and and if it were, you know, immobilized him, he could have taken his gun. That 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 appeared to be a very dangerous probability when they were wrestling with him on the ground. And what we all have to do as we stand back and look at that scene is to to really understand how a thing can get out of control, how a thing can escalate, and how a thing can fall out so bad that uh, it ended up in the uh, death. Of another uh, young man, and in this context it was uh, a black man uh, with two Caucasian officers. Really, really difficult. There, There has to be an understanding among us who are objective, who are wanting to be fair, who are wanting to keep in view the whole matter that what took place here was an initial expression of great Uh, uh, temperance and control and respect and even prudence on the part of the law officers initially. It's a good thing that they actually had cameras, you know, on so that they could video how the whole matter fell out and developed. And and I'm glad they did, because as you guys know, what's going on right now is so filled with with emotion and, and anger and hostility. Some of it justified, no doubt. And some of it not. And, and, and we have to be able to set aside the emotional component that goes into this big movement itself and ask ourselves the question, are we seeing clearly? Are our are, are eyes wide open to what's really going on here? And can we make a judgment that is just and righteous for all sides in view? And that, that really is what we have to ask. Can we make a judgment for all sides in view? and and if we can't then then we need to you know probably censor ourselves anyhow the number is one 3675329 367 3675329 what i'm basically going to going to ask you as we try to work through this program without having any kind of real snafus is ladies and gentlemen are we looking at reformation in our country of policies that seem to be creating and exacerbating deep-seated historic conflicts and wounds? Or are we looking at the seeds and manifestations of revolution? Are we looking at reformation or are we looking at revolution? I talked about this in our Friday class we had last week for three hours, dealing both with the importance of having a comprehensive vision of what's going on in our world, particularly as Christians, and then I dealt with politics. Right now I'm dealing with the impotency and weakness of both the left and the right. I dealt with them two weeks in a row. And then I began to deal with some of the problems I see going on within the framework and rhetoric and narrative of what is occurring in the protests and how it is moving up under the banner of Black Lives Matter and how many things within the Uh, uh, context of this movement that we need to be very prudent about, very thoughtful about, and as Christians, exceedingly, exceedingly discerning before we give a word of approval or yield our our support on any level. We must be very prudent and very careful about our participation in anything that uh, may have dubious Uh, may have uh, conflicting interests, may have uh, anti-biblical platforms and frameworks and foundational uh, ideological uh, structures that might cause you and I to be identified with things that just do not honor God. We want to be extremely careful about that. So some of the questions I'm going to be raising as we try to make our way through the program today. One is, are we dealing with reformation? Or revolution? Are we dealing with a slight modification in the area of mere law enforcement, or are we dealing with the seeds of a bigger agenda that is actually mandating a wholesale revolution in our country? If you don't know what uh, the difference between the two is, let me just share with you briefly, and then I'll, I'll show you what I mean by uh, a number of subpoints that I do want to bring before your uh, your mind and your ear. Re- Reformation means that we have problems that need to be adjusted, modified, changed, but it does not assert the overthrow of the whole foundation or the whole premise uh, or the whole organization or our whole government our whole method of governance and uh, and society if you will. When you have a reformation, you recognize salient points of existing structures that are extremely important and good to your society. But you also recognize maybe antiquated, old, irrelevant, archaic, or even maybe uh, uh, nonproductive and painfully uh, you know, obstacle oriented things that just need to be uprooted and taken out like we did with slavery. When uh, when we were able to aggressively and historically and progressively extricate ourselves from that horrible, wretched system, we didn't mandate, you know, getting rid of America or abandoning the Constitution or uh, reforming a whole new union. But I'm asking you the question is what's going on today with the the present outrage and Uh, Again, ubiquitous expression of of protesting and engaging in a kind of dialogue that is resulting, as you guys see, in Seattle, Washington, uh, as a takeover of portions of the city and uh, municipalities, which really uh, verges on anarchy, if you know anything about terminology respecting how citizens engage its government. And so I'm asking you one 367 5329 one 367 5329 Are we dealing with uh, reformation or are we dealing with revolution? This is so critically important because if we're discerning it wrong, we're going to have a problem. Uh, again, uh, are we seeing the gradual development of a, of, of, of a prescribed playbook? That's kind of working itself out strategically. Or is this the organic, non-influenced expression of real universal oppression? Now, I'll I'll say that again because I'm going to be pressing in a number of questions for you. And I really want to know where you stand and what you see and what you perceive. Are we watching the gradual development of a prescribed playbook? Is there a method to this madness? Is there... A a premise to this protest is there a uh, foundation to this forward movement or is this just an organic, non-influenced expression of real universal oppression? Because at the at the uh, center of the narrative is the idea of oppression. Is this a natural progression of human rights? That's taking place here, just a natural progression of human rights as Marx and Engels' dialectical uh, process predicts. Are we just moving through the stages of uh, theses and antithesis, or is this the staged, controlled, and manipulation of masses away from freedom and opportunity, which require virtue, integrity, and prudence? to work through the sticky conflicts that all human society participates in. Is that, is that what's going on here or is it the latter? The number is one 367 5329 one I'm gonna take a break and I'm gonna come back and lay more foundation around The question, are we dealing with reformation or are we dealing with reform? Are we dealing with an organic expression of oppression that is so bad that it requires the overthrow of our law enforcement agency and even the overthrow of our constitutional principles? Or are we dealing with a kind of diabolical agenda that basically is going to amount to ending our freedoms and, uh, and taking away opportunity? Uh, for those uh, who are American citizens who have the right of freedom and the right uh, to pursue uh, happiness. This is your host, Jesse Gistan. It's uh, Monday, uh, June 6th, June 19th. Let's see here. June, uh, June 15th, I'm sorry. Uh, and the time is 520 on this Monday edition of Lifeline. The number to reach me is one 367 5329 367 I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we're back. The time is 520 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I've got three lines open, One triple eight. Three six seven five three two nine. Three lines open one triple eight. Three six seven five three two nine. We all know that we are in some kind of flux, some kind of uh, change in our uh, in our uh, culture and in our world. And Hugh uh, <laughs> Hewitt is talking about a wholesale uh, revolution in the. Uh, in the in the in the ministry of uh, of radio, if you just heard the advertisement, he's talking about a complete reconstitution of uh, of our media. I, and I would not I would not agree with that. I would I would agree, I would say that we need reform. We don't need a wholesale uh, abandonment of all of all of all radio where we are right now. By the way, the number is one triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine. 1- 329 I've got three lines open. You can join me if you will if you want to. Um, where we are, ladies and gentlemen, is in the middle of an experience and experiment called freedom. And uh, And if we don't know that, this is where we will make a major mistake when it comes to solutions to the present stresses. We are in the middle of a freedom experiment uh, of which the vast majority of the world does not know. Uh, You are free Americans, and so am I, and particularly you who are black. You are free. You are not slaves. You are not in bondage. You are not uh, oppressed. You got your challenges. We all do. You have your struggles. We all do. There, There are problems to be dealt with. But do not buy into the narrative that you are not free. You are free. In fact, you're so free, most people around the world want to be where you are. And, and, and it's so important for you to keep that foundational reality as, a, as a, uh, a major, major core axiom as you think through how you can best live your life in a way that honors God in this world and particularly at this time, because I, as I asked you earlier, are we dealing with, uh, reformation, uh, a need to change some antiquated and old policies and, and, and old systems that are, um, uh, impacting our lives. Are we, are we, are we dealing with that? Are we, are we dealing with right now, uh, the need to, to, um, to, to ask the question whether or not, you know, everything needs to be reevaluated, everything needs to be thrown away, everything needs to be discarded because that's what you're basically hearing uh, in the movement and uh, and what you're seeing by virtue of how they are are behaving, and I asked the question when we opened up. You know, is this a natural progression of human rights in an organic, uh, non-influenced expression, or are we dealing with a staged, controlled manipulation of masses by by unseen, undetected powers? Howbeit, they've already let their agenda be known. If you're going to be diligent and studious in terms of what the uh, what the what the goals are. Um, and, and I see this as a move away from freedom and opportunity, which can only be realized in your life and mine by virtue and integrity. Remember what I've said so long ago, and it's coming home now to roost in a lot of ways. Liberty without virtue is a curse. And and the whole human race has seen the curse of behaving in ways where freedoms were given and then ultimately lost. I will actually refer to our For parents, Adam and Eve, they had the exquisite privilege of being the uh, host and vicar of God's pristine garden. And because they failed to recognize their blessing, they engaged in basically a treason against God with a maniacal force that was able to manipulate them emotionally and drive them from a narcissistic position of self-interest. And the next thing you know, they have basically lost Eden. And I'm asking the question, are we dealing with the danger of losing uh, you know a proverbial Eden and, and finding ourselves in the historic uh, morass and chaos and, and coups and, and, and protests and, and conflagrations and, and conflicts and deaths between the upper class and the lower class? The, the, as we're learning about Marxism in our Friday Bible study, the uh, bourgeoisie societies. Fighting and fueling conflict among the the proletariat, who are being you know driven again by agendas that I don't think they fully understand. Uh, until we enter into a new era that will probably and can definitely be worse than where we are. That's what I'm asking you. Are you are you aware of the historic dialectical process that created? The horrors of the 20th century in in uh, Marxist communist countries, uh, Germany and 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 uh, and in you know Italy and other places. Uh, some of the revolutions that broke out in the French Revolution and. And uh, and even, uh, you know, even Hitler's uh, move to exterminate and to establish a superior socialist society, all of that was rooted in a dialectic that basically said they had a better way to create utopia than what was going on at that present time. And if we don't learn from history, we are bound to repeat it. And I'm asking you, um, are the people in the present struggle that you're seeing engaged in uh, in the media And around the world and the talking points on radio that are telling you, you know, about all the just things that are happening in our society as you are hearing it. Are they really uh, illuminated uh, parties? Are they leaders? Do they see? Do they have vision? And is their vision that which corresponds with the will and purpose of God? I remember what Christ said in Matthew 15. If the blind lead the blind, they both will fall into the ditch. And so I'm asking you very earnestly, I've got two lines open. Uh, What do you see going on? Are we headed in a path that is shining more light and more clarity and more understanding? Or are we headed down a path that is proverbially the Wizard of Oz? Uh, towards a destination that has no ethereal, no substantial reality whatsoever, and it's basically a, a path of delusion. I've got two lines open. I do want to hear from you. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Let me go to line number one and talk with Steve from Pacifica. Steve, are you there? Hello, Steve. Are we there? Are we? Are we with Steve on line number one? Do we get a disconnect there, uh, uh, Joe? All right. Then I'll take line number two. Leslie from Oakland on line number two. Leslie, are you there?
2: Yes, I am. How are you today? Oh,
1: I'm great. How are you?
2: I'm doing great. Thank God. Glory be to God. I thank you for um, taking my call. Um, just a couple of um, things I wanted to bring to your attention. Um, one, of course, you know already, God matters first. We all must keep that in mind before we do anything else. We must remember that God matters first and that I it is um, our eternal life that's at stake when we don't seek Him and give our lives to Him. And mm-hmm. That's first and foremost, and that is who, if anyone takes control, that is going to be God. Secondly, um, I want to bring your attention to a 2016 dash cam about a trooper named uh, Michael Blake. He was fired... Mm-hmm. But I watched it yesterday morning, just out, I don't know, just, I just watched it. And I was shocked to see what took place in that video. Um, He arrested, he pulled a guy over, which he claimed he was feeding, which he wasn't, an African-American male. And he um, put him in the car. He didn't handcuff him or anything. He ran and checked him and everything. And he let him go as he was letting him go. Now, he's all on camera, but as he was letting him go, he started questioning him about his background about what he did. And then the Um, African-American about in his thirties, late thirties, forties, started talking about what he did for a living. And he went into a lot of detail before he could get out the car. The trooper stopped him, told him to get back in before it was over. After he found out all the details of how successful he was, he literally, they handcuffed him and put his stuff on the car and went and checked his car for drugs. You could literally see them planning the drugs in the car. And I'm going to uh-huh. say I want to show you this because it's very important, because if we don't keep an, uh track of how this is being done, the important part of that whole thing was everything was on camera until it was time to arrest him. Then they pulled him out of the car, out of the side of the camera, and they started telling him to stop resisting. And you can uh-huh. hear him say, I'm not resisting. But they kept. Saying it, They said it like five, six times. In the meantime, you could hear his mouth being muffled. And he, you could hear him just like the uh, Floyd. And he was saying, mm, you could just hear his no- the noise. You could hear him trying to say, I'm not resisting. Sure. And after they were done, ambulance called and he was off, parted off. Man living his life. They kept questioning about where he was from, all this stuff. The hatred. It's the hatred that's in the police department that has to be remedied. And it's worldwide. Um, and certainly we see this now, but countrywide for sure. And when you see this video, I would love to send it to you. It will really, truly blow your mind. You will have a different look on, take on how things are done. Typically, and oftentimes, African Americans are, and anyone else that they want to arrest, they're going outside the camera and they're putting putting things on them. In other words, they're setting them up like the drugs and things like that. Mm -hmm. My suggestion solution to that. This whole thing, part of this is the cameras um, that they have on the, ca- on the car cover those people, but they mm-hmm. do- it doesn't cover when they move out of sight of the camera. They need to have a camera on their head. They need to have one on their chest. They need to have it when they make an arrest. You can see everything. Not only that, they need to be in touch with the dispatcher on a regular basis as they're going through the arrest. Now you're able to see everything. You can see what they're doing you can see if that if anyone's really resisting arrest because that's the whole card the police department uses is they're resisting arrest that's the only thing in the meantime they're planning things and they're building a case before it was over this guy you could see the whole thing he wasn't going fast he was the one stopping at the sign all that before it was over they were saying he was doing 75 then he said 80 and then next thing you know you got drugs and you didn't tell me the truth and this and he just went through this whole thing. And I was disappointed because the African-American male went through a lot of detail about how he bought property and how he sold property and how he was able to do loans and this and that and build a business, he and his mother. And he was literally carted away on the cart when they were finished with him.
1: Now, Um, uh, uh, Leslie, I'm sorry, Leslie. Yes. Yeah, when your radio is up like that, I get tons of feedback and it makes it really difficult for us to, to hear you. Uh, I was trying to wait till you got a little breath in what you said to, to let oh, you know I, that.
2: Um, I like you there for a minute. Hold, huh? on a second. Hold on for a second. Let me turn it down. OK, go ahead.
1: So, yeah, I have no doubt that what you saw was factual And true, we already have a history of that kind of behavior in terms of law enforcement, even before we had cameras. I I grew up in a context uh, in West Oakland and East Oakland where we always were dealing with uh, uh, occasional situations. Situations where the police officers would plant drugs on on um, on the citizens for whatever goals and purposes they they were. I totally agree with you that we need to actually revamp the uh, method by which we can video things maybe more more sufficiently so that we can catch off camera activity. And uh, hopefully that they can employ something like that, because the biggest thing that we're going to be needing right now in terms of the very complicated approach to assessing as uh, third party uh, observers, you and I are third party observers. So anytime you and I are sitting in our on our television are watching it on our computers with third party and there is a level of susceptibility we have to know is there this is how you can you know you can you do, can do magic tricks and make people look like they you know are going up in the space so you, we always have to be careful about what you and I are not being able to capture we also know this before I let you go is that sometimes our criminal justice system can have all the evidence in the world as in this particular case that you're talking about and still not make the right uh judgments and conclusions about what really took place uh at at the time of the altercation between law enforcement and its citizens whether they black they're black or otherwise so we've got a lot of vigilance to engage in a lot a lot to do in terms of uh making more efficient the accountability uh structures essential to uh to 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 a good outcome whenever there is a uh, really 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 uh, bad uh conflict engagement between law enforcement and its citizens listen is this your first time calling
2: it is and i want to just say one thing the solution that i came up with i think is imp- is is very important because i that that a camera requiring a requirement, doing away at the police department and some of the things they're proposing, I'm not necessarily for it. But I do think there are other ways. And I think them having a camera on them at all times, rather than a bystander videotaping and stuff and somebody communicating when they make an arrest, that they have to call in that, that, that what they're about to do. At that point, them cameras should go on and a dispatcher or somebody should be in communication with them as they're making the arrest. That can be worldwide. It can be countrywide. And it will eliminate or certainly um, diminish or, or minimize, re- some minimize, the, minimize things, that's the yeah. word, um, some yeah. of the things that are taking place. And I think that, that if we, when we try we have these talk type of things going on, I've seen enough of them, not enough solutions are coming up. And when, when, sometimes we talk about global huge solutions. We can talk about simple things that can happen right away. And that's something that can certainly happen right away in every state in this country.
1: Yep. I agree with you. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. This is a good way to start the program. Got to pay some bills. When I come back, I'll deal with uh, Wanda from Oakland. I've got two lines open one triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine. In fact, all four lines are, no, two lines are open. One triple eight, three, six, seven, five, three, two, nine. If you want to get in on our topic, I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. All right, we're back. The time is 5.48 on the Monday edition of Lifeline, June 15th, moving towards Father's Day. I hope they don't strip that down and take it away in this uh, process of uh, anti-patriarchal outrage. (laughs) We're tearing down idols. I guess they might be called idols, but we're certainly tearing down statues and things of that nature in our country and around the world uh and uh it's very symbolic and i think we need to really be able to be able to ask ourselves the question as a group and individually um are these um you know uh, arcane inane innocuous things harmless things if you will that that can be removed and uh if you will kind of just Uh, Erased from history without having significant significant uh, implications uh, to our to our future and 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 what does that mean? What does it mean to do those types of things? What what are what's going to fill those vacuums? I'm I'm just interested in your thoughts about this because you and I are watching the world. We are able to see it 24/7, and the media knows how to strategically aim in on certain uh, certain patterns. I remember when, when Islam, when the Islamic terrorist was the center of media, the center of dialogue, the center of conversation, the fear of the world, the fear of people, and it was the news 24 hours a day. And whenever uh, you know Islamic terrorists would take a territory, particularly in, in Middle Eastern countries, uh, Iraq, Syria, uh, wherever... Uh, one of the things they were doing is the iconoclastic destruction of those um, um, icons and statues that represented history at that time, good, bad, or otherwise. And uh, you just kind of see that taking place here. And we really need to ask the question, what are we beholding? Are we beholding reformation or are we beholding revolution? Because if the momentum reaches a certain level ladies and gentlemen, that uh, is unbeknownst to us because our head is in the sand intellectually or our head is in the sand emotionally and psychologically. When the momentum reaches a certain uh, certain level, what you will discover is that... Um, what you will discover is that, that there is no ability to stave off the momentum of that hostility and that rage and that, that, that protest without without much damage, without much pain, without much destruction. Collateral damage, if you will, and collateral destruction. You know, just uh, There are a lot of things for us to think through because we are starting to experience things here in America on a much more frequent level. Uh, than we have before, and we really need to understand the times. All right, let me go to, uh, let me see, is it is Wanda online, number one? Let me talk with Wanda from Oakland. Wanda, are you there?
0: Hi, Pastor Kistan, how are you?
1: I'm great. What's your question, comment, observation, or thoughts, young lady?
0: Um, my thoughts, um, I was listening to the lady who was talking about, uh, I think that all this stems from hatred, like she says, but nothing can change the hatred in a person's heart but the blood of Jesus. That's the only mm-hmm. thing that can turn that thing around. Now, dealing with things in the natural, um, I was talking to a friend of mine who is retired, and she was a police officer and, and, and a sheriff for about 25 years in the uh, LAPD and in the Southern California um, area. And so sure. was just saying, we were talking and I said, you know, what can we do about this? I'm the mother of two black boys, one special need. He's uh, 18 and the other is 30. Um, I was saying, what, what can we do about this? What can I do as a Christian and as a mother of two black boys? Because I'm not kidding. I do have a fear, especially when. My youngest son is in the car because he's nonverbal. He's five nine and he's big, right? And so, therefore, what I what I did was recently I posted in the back and on the two sides of my window. Um, Officer, please allow did me. Did I lose to you? Get out did of the I lose car. you, Wanda? Uh oh! Can you hear me?
1: Well, I'm, you're, we're, you're fading out on me.
0: Okay, can you hear me?
1: Wanda, are you there?
0: I am here can you hear uh, me
1: uh, for some Hello? reason are you on a cell phone
0: I am on a cell phone can you hear me now
1: yeah much better if we can yeah let's so because we lost a good portion of what you said oh, what were you I'm saying sorry. I, I'm
0: sorry I just want to make sure you can hear me is it clearer now
1: it's much clearer now
0: okay I was on I was on speakerphone okay yeah. so so one of my concerns as a as a black person mother of two boys i have an 18 year old who's soon to be 19 on saturday and one of my biggest fears pastor is being pulled over by the police i myself have been pulled over by the police on four different separate occasions on one of the occasions i deserved it because i was going you know faster than the speed limit uh allowed but on the other three times each time i said officer can you please tell me why you're pulling me over Mm-hmm. And to what you said, give me your uh, registration and your driver's license, officer. Can you please tell me why you're pulling me over? At some point, they're going to get irritated, and then they put their hand on their on the on their gun.
1: Oh, we're fading happens. out. Are you moving?
0: Am I moving,
1: Wanda? Well, Are you yes. moving?
0: No, I'm not moving. Yeah,
1: because uh, your story is fascinating. I can't I can't listen to it forever, but I really wanted to hear it because two things that you're saying are germane to the development of our our discourse tonight, and that is the experience that you have had with law enforcement and plus you know, you're concerned about your special needs son and the need for a measure of visibility or some kind of um, uh, placard that lets, the, lets law enforcement know what we're dealing with in terms of his special needs. I heard that earlier. I, I really am sorry that the phone is breaking up because I really wanted to engage you on that. Uh, are you still there? I
0: am still here. Can you hear me clearly?
1: Yep, I can hear you clearly. I, it just seems like you were moving or something and it just it just fades out. So you did have one, you had a a few you had a few experiences with the law enforcement that um, we recognize that, you know, sometimes, you know, when they pull us over, uh you know, we deserve it, but at other times it's extremely it's an, extremely ambiguous and we ask the question, so what is it you're pulling me over for, right?
0: Correct. Correct.
1: Yeah. So and you I can find go from that he-
0: I find that when you ask that question uh, at least two or three times, I've witnessed in all three um, occasions that the officers they put their hand on their gun. Mm-hmm. And so then I comply. I've even said the last time it was so intense that, I mean, tear, I just started tearing up and tears started flowing from my eyes. He called in two more officers and I said, officer, I am fifty seven years of age, and right now this is starting to escalate and I don't want to be shot i don't want to end up another statistic so I'm asking you if you can just take me in right and i I don't know what to do i don't an um, I don't have an answer, and I don't know what to do and It's just it leaves me, um, it just leaves me baffled because I'm I'm I I understand the rage of 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 black and brown men, and anybody can see, and I think that's at this time that's why white people and people that are of other nationalities are joining the forces of the the um, Black Lives Matter. But my question to you is because I think that it would be a matter of reform. Um, like i said my friend who is retired from uh law enforcement she was sharing with me some ideas about how you what how you go about uh causing change and um, kind of putting pressure on you know the law enforcement agencies, but I think what that'll take is people really coming together, and and not only that, but having people that are inside these agencies to 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 lead and, and guide and direct us as to to what actions to take. You know, um, it's it, it's it's a pretty tough situation, and and I'm not Pastor, it's Just you it's just really a scary time right now. It really, really is.
1: It is, you did a great job though. You, you made a, a very good point about the precariousness of our uh, law enforcement citizen relationship. I'll, I'll share with you just as if it's you and I uh, that are talking, the issue is much bigger than this, but um, a, a couple, uh, three or four things I know factually because I know law enforcement personally, and I, I've been knowing them for years. One of, one of my ministry leadership, uh, team is law enforcement, so you know um, I, I don't. I'm not subject to to um, either anecdotal stories or just you know secondary narratives about police officers. I do not hold the position that all police officers are bad. That's just one thing. I just that's 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 ludicrous. Secondly, I don't hold the position that most police officers are bad. That is unrealistic and statistically not provable. I do hold to the position that there is a very uh, tangential dynamic that goes on between law enforcement and our citizens because we don't have the uh, proper relational foundation or structures or infrastructure by which law enforcement has a higher degree of confidence and respect for citizens And vice versa, uh, Wanda, because we don't talk, we don't forum, we don't engage uh, nearly as much as we ought. Police officers are human beings just like we are, but like in any kind of social experiment. We can be xenophobic with our neighbors if our neighbors are so different than us, uh, either by, uh, you know, status or by some other uh, factor. And we don't come to get to know each other so that we can break down fictitious barriers, uh, superficial assumptions, uh, baseless fears. And when we can be in the same space with, with law enforcement who, uh, you know, when they get off uh, work, they have to, uh, you know, put on their clothes and engage in commerce and go to the store and do life just like you and I do. But the way our system is set up is as if they live on a different planet than we do. And when they have to do their job, there is a automatic alienation kind of tone to the relationship between us and them which completely breaks down any kind of intuitive harmonious communication they are automatically profiling and we are automatically suspicious and that part is extremely problematic and it goes back you know dozens and dozens of years in terms of how the police department hires who they hire and what their policies are uh, in terms of what kind of image and impression they want to make on society as law enforcement, and and this has to change as well. And and I and quite frankly, it has changed in certain communities around the uh, nation. If you if we had to if we had to analyze all of the different. Uh, uh, districts in all of the different cities across the nation, you would find that police departments in cities where they are part of the citizenry or they have a very healthy, informed community with regards to who the police officers are, where they live, where they grew up, do they have a wife, children, or husband and children, etc. where all that is part of the uh, body politic of where men and women live, you greatly reduce the kind of trepidation and intimidation that will have a tendency to be the default mechanism of both sides that's so critically important as is the case in all relationships if we keep people divided and make these major gaps between where they live and where we live inevitably the xenophobic attitude is going to rise up and create major problems thank you for the call got to take a break got two lines open 1 seven five three two nine. 8 1 8 We'll be right back.